Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrewer and I'm here with Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing how to know when you need a haircut. Nick, how do you know when you need a haircut? Well, I mean, I've, I, this is a problem that I've come up with a technological solution for, in fact, which is I just have an appointment every, uh, whatever it is, three three months maybe, in my calendar, which pops up and says, book a haircut. Because I, I just don't naturally notice until it's too late, you know, that my hair is long. Somewhere between having short hair and having long hair, there's a place where you ought to get your hair cut. Right, am I right, guys? Right, so I don't know where that place is, and I miss it. It gets sales passed, and then it, then I sort of think, oh God, I can almost put my hair in a ponytail. It's time to do something about that. Um, so yeah, so the the but but I think more generally, what we want to talk about is this issue of sort of gradual changes and when it's time to do something about it and how we know. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, now I hesitate to ask the question, but Peter, how I'm not sure. I don't think you know the answer to be honest. Um, but how do you know when you need a hair? Well, I'm still trying to find the the limit of when it becomes long hair. So it's 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 probably ponytailable right about now. But you've got, just to explain, Peter has quite curly hair, so it tends to go out rather than down. Um, I I, I suspect when I start tripping over it, then I'll need some sort of intervention. I think the answer is uh, always. (laughs) Peter could always do with a haircut. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, When did you last have your hair cut, Peter? Must be six months ago. Okay. Yeah. Because unfortunately, this is quite a you know a sad subject for me. Painful topic. It is a yeah. painful topic because um, you know I I I, I you know I uh, don't have much hair anymore, and um, I'm losing my hair. I've lost my hair, and um, careless bugger. <laughs> where's it gone? Um, and what's annoying for me actually? I mean, we'll get onto the proper thing in a moment. But um, what's annoying for me is I now have to have more haircuts than when I had hair. And the reason why is got a le- very low tolerance for looking out of shape because when you've got less uh, follicles, um, the, he- and the a hairdresser was telling me about this, is it very quickly starts to look like a comb over. Mm. And the reason why it's got nothing to lean against and so it will just lean yeah, against the scalp. Yeah. And so I now have to have a haircut every week. Um, yeah, which, but con- you, concomitantly, there's less hair to cut, so do you get a discount? And, well, sort of, in as much as a haircut for me is now a shave, um, uh, what do they call it? Clippers. Right. Um, and that, yeah, there's a cheaper rate for that. They're just zzz, all over. But what's annoying is, is even so, that would still be too expensive doing that every week. And so I have to do it myself. Well, and I mean, look, this is an even more gradual change. But how do you know when you're bald enough to not need to? Does a man with one hair still have to go to the hairdressers? Mm, good yeah. question. Yeah. And that's one of the things I started Could to realise. Pluck it. Yeah. I mean, um, well, what yeah, I realise is how how soon do you realise, or when do you realise that you need to have more frequent haircuts? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I because I'm getting there. Obviously, I've got receding. Uh, I've had, my hair is weird. It does it. It fits and starts. I I had a perfectly square hairline until one day when I was 18, I was combing my hair after a after a hair wash, and lo and behold, suddenly there was about a centimetre of you know of recedingness, and then everything's fine and it settles down, and then at some point, suddenly another centimetre goes, it's and I think I'm very relaxing, remitting close. male pattern board. Well, yeah. The luck, I think is I think the key the trip the trip wire for me is going to be when there's when there's the hole at the back 
at the moment I haven't got a hole at the back so I'm still clinging on there yeah yeah so and and, and just as a final word um, but when I did have hair and needed regular haircuts I didn't know the answer to the question we're posing and in fact on more than one occasion um, an employer used to had to take me to different employers had to take me physically out and to a hairdresser's and sit me down and and tell someone to cut my hair that I mean that this is partly why I'm letting my hair grow one to enjoy the hair when I still got it and two to rally against rail against these many years of working for employers where there was a certain kind of look required I'm now just damning the man and growing my hair. Well, for all we know, it might just be one hair that's really kind of coiled up and wrapped around your head. To teach <laughs> yeah, it. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, what yeah what's going on there? Um, but look, let's bring this back round. So, uh, uh, gradual changes. How do we know when to intervene? Um, one of Nick's answers there uh, or was um, technology and just an automatic reminder. Peter, can you wade in on this? What are your thoughts? Uh, well, I don't think there's a one one size fits all solution because lots of things in in the world, uh, thinking you know, like global warming and other small problems like that, they, they there might be a cliff edge beyond which it's either too late to do anything or it's it, 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 nothing can be done for it. So, the, 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 for haircuts, so hair grows, I, I presume, in quite a linear way. It doesn't really speed up or slow down. Well, I think it does. But anyway, go on. But it, well, it's, it's in a fairly predictable way. Um, uh, it, but there are bigger things like global warming where we have no we have no accurate model for how things might change. So uh, just assuming that it's going to incrementally change and incrementally warm up as we pump more CO2 in, in, into the atmosphere might be might be oversimplistic, might, might be dangerous because it might reach some sort of day after tomorrow kind of cliff edge and, and go nuts. So, um, and obviously the scale of that problem deserves a different kind of solution to whether or not to cut your hair. But I think this is—I think this, this is in, this is the interesting bit. Is that there are some things that we can understand with simple measures like hair length, and then other things which are pretty obscure and pretty um, uh, obscured to us, like what the what the consequences of certain things are. And that's when uh, this uh, when when a strategy might be required for. Um, yeah, I think there's two there's two things here. One is one is uh, um, how do we know whether something's become true, and the other is you know how do we know when we ought to act in a certain circumstance. I think they're quite different. The first the first the question about you know how do we know when I've got long hair, or how when does you know when do we when does someone at what height is someone tall you know those kinds of questions are quite there's a lot of philosophical literature about that about you know how how it, um, there's a paradox called the the heap paradox or the sorites paradox you know where you say well if if you've got adding one grain of sand to a heap of sand is not going to stop it you know it's not going to turn it into a heap or you know likewise um you know a, if a child's a child one day there'll be a child the next day there isn't it sort of seems weird to imagine that there's some day where they just stop being a child but of course that then leads to this paradox because you say well if a child age one day is a child then there'll be a child on day two um likewise you know by the principle of induction a 30 year old is also a child you know unless unless it's true that there is some day somewhere where it actually changes and the question is is that some decision about how we use language or is it a fact about the world that we perhaps have uncertain knowledge of or or what it's kind of an interesting question separate separate to the question of when do we decide that it's time to take action and 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 how does that play out and i think that's that's uh 
um, you know, in a way, I think in practical terms, perhaps more more interesting to try and ask that question is at what point do we say, you know, and you can apply similar sort of reasoning to it and say, well, at some point in the last 100 years, we should have taken action on global warming. We should have done something earlier. But what was there? Does that mean that there was a particular day where we should have said, right, now we're going to stop? Yeah, no, I think you're, one of the things you're sort of close to there as well, which is an issue, I think, is just a more practical one is, and you said the word, and how do we do that? And, you know, if it's, I've got more or less agency over my hair, pretty much. Um, but um, what apart there is of it. Apart from it falling out. Yeah. Apart from it falling out. Yeah, why don't out. you grow more of it then? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but something like um, in, an, in an anarchic international system, how do you... You know, I've got control of my hair, but I don't necessarily have control over the the processes to intervene in um, something like global warning warming. Um, but anyway, I guess that's getting off the point because it's we're talking about. Um, no, I think it's completely the point because it's it, because it's to do with how. Uh, but we still need to know when. Yeah, and um, but it, it's also because I mean, okay, so let's. This is you know the collective action problem basically is that you've got uh, some some set of actions that will only succeed if everyone does them. You know, at the same time, say how when when you're dealing with a, I mean, it's, that's kind of easy when you have a static situation, and you go, look, we know we need a well in the village. You know, we'll just all decide to build one one day. Uh, what's difficult is that is where you know you have a situation where actually the river has been fine, and then it gets gradually more and more dried up. And at some point, at some point, you need a well. And by the time you kind of notice or get get together, uh, it's too late. You know, that's and that's a lot of these international problems are to do with change. And and so you know you see, and you see that global warming is the most obvious example. You know, where actually it's a huge amount of effort to try and coordinate and to try and get everyone on side. And of course, you know, dealing with the fact that everyone has slightly different um, priorities and you know, industrialized countries are going to suffer more if you like from change from from um, uh, from from controls on on CO two emission emissions. Uh, so you've got this huge amount of effort has to go into those sorts of things. But the similar, uh, I mean, so, you know, it's, it's not too dissimilar for, to how revolutions happen, you know, or even just looking at the states now, the the Harvey Weinstein situation, where, you know, he's he's been it's an industry. It's not even a secret, you know. It's been his behaviour has been known about for for decades. But n- now something has happened to reach a tipping point. That means, you know, everyone is coming out, and uh, and and he's now being, um, you know prosecuted so uh, those those kinds of collective action problems are really difficult and and i think you know probably how do we how do we think about solving them how do we think about solving them peter yeah no i think this is really difficult because we're talking about so many different examples from so many different areas so we talked about um, harvey weinstein is it harvey yeah so we've talked about harvey weinstein we've talked about getting a haircut we've talked about global warming um which are three i think very different situations but do we have some sort of common solution in terms of, of 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 measurement of aims of when of whether to intervene of how to intervene? Is there some kind of, you know, um, central answer to this? Well, I think I think well, the, the, I mean the, well, these problems are prolific. They're everywhere. You know, it's like when do you decide when do I need to repaint my living room or when do I uh, when do we as a as a street need to start collecting more rubbish or you know where you know all, they're, they're absolutely everywhere at every every level um but they 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 all in order to 
to decide at what point is enough is enough they all need measuring so you need to measure it in some way so and that's that as far as i can tell that's the only the only commonality is that any problem will have some way of measuring it that lets you work out how good or bad a situation is and then you can collectively decide at what point the tipping point is so so if we take the case of harvey weinstein um how do we mean what is how can we define the problem there and what is the tipping point when we know that we need to do something yeah i think who is we well i think there's there's first of all there's the measurement if this is for a situation where we've got some change over time which is one thing the second one which is how do we take collective action which is uh not so much a measurement but more of a coordination problem and of course technology offers bountiful solutions to that now um i mean you could say that the you know in the case of harvey weinstein it's the the ability of people to communicate and to broadcast um has enabled uh you know people to come forward and likewise you look at things like the the um i forget which color of revolution we're on now but the arab spring and you know the the fact that people were able to use twitter to coordinate and of course that government's now to go for twitter the first thing they do if anyone's worried about an uprising you know is, is cut off the means of coordinating and um you know, and protesters in before we had Twitter had uh, lots of interesting. It's interesting that different solutions were converged on. So you, you, there's there's a thing, uh, a type of protest called a. Um, uh, it sounds like casserole, a casserolazzo, which is very prolific. Actually, you look at the history of revolutions. It's where people bang pots and pans. Um, mm, as a signal to start a protest, and the great thing why this has a, why this is very advantageous is people can do it deniably before they need to come out on the streets. They can all do it at home and hear each other banging their pots and pans. And when there's sufficiently loud banging, you can infer that actually you're going to be numerous enough to be safe. And of course, that you know it's been found from Argentina to Northern Ireland to you know. So again, it's a sort of it's a solution to that problem of having to coordinate action where where the success will only come from having a certain number of people uh, on board so yeah i mean I, th- I think basically information technology offers us a huge increase in our ability to take collective action um okay so um i'm struggling i was going to say i'm struggling to see a way forward in our discussion but i'm actually st- struggling to see a, a, a way to um conclude our discussion um what have we discovered in the last 15 minutes? Well, well we've acknowledged that uh, collective action is hard because of the coordination costs. Uh, but also um, that you don't know you have a problem unless you're measuring it in some way. So global warming, it might be measuring the cha- global changes in climatic temperature. For haircuts, it's, it has some length. And then you can apply some either arbitrary or some fundamental uh, limit as to what you, you, you're going to accept um, uh, and use that as a sort of benchmark by which to, to which, uh, trigger point at which to take action. And, but I think let's not underestimate that this is really hard, right? It's really hard institutionally to instigate a change where everything is superficially the same as it was yesterday. And... Um, you know, it's not. I don't. There isn't a big solution. It's a major problem, but it, there isn't. It isn't something where there's a, a massive solution. I mean, you could say, yeah, well, let's all sit down and agree on some cutoffs. At which point, we'll take some take some more significant action. But just getting people to do that, getting people to commit in that way, is very hard. Um, uh, and um, well, just sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, if even if that's just even though that's difficult, that's talking about an institution. But let's say you're talking about an industry like the movie industry. Mm. And how do you sort of how do you um, 
organize the the principles and the points of action to prevent sexual harassment for example of actresses um that's quite difficult to pull off really um i th- i think there are things you can do um but that's really tricky um yeah well i think i think the, the, the acknowledging that uh, any kind of sexual harassment or is is unacceptable i think the tipping point with harvey weinstein was the the fact that enough people felt that they were able to come a, come out together to bring this guy down because he's he's a you know he's a he's a he's a he's a big guy in in the industry so he's sort of protected by his power um uh and had uh had they not been able to collectively come out to all together um similar to the Jimmy Savile thing the same you know no one's going to believe one or two people um uh word against the the Jimmy Savile a big a big celebrity well thought of blah blah um until lots and lots of people start uh bringing accusations yeah it's and it, it is to do it's it, and i think this is why this is something of a phenomenon in recent years um because we have the technology now to do that you know we people are able to come out and coordinate um but i i think that that's that sort of that so i think that we're on the verge of having mechanisms to solve the collective action problem in a sense but i don't think i mean that we haven't necessarily got the mechanisms yet to to think about how to solve in some meaningful way the gradual change problem and um and that's why we always overshoot you know we 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 governments always take action on things when it's too late you know you look at um you i i mean the what the thing that i've noticed living in london is is homelessness you know it was a huge problem in the late 80s and early 90s uh, and then a lot of money was put into you know shelters and so on it really d- completely disappeared i mean almost completely disappeared homelessness from the certainly from people living on the streets and and now i've seen it sort of gradually uh, reappearing i think as there've been you know cutbacks after the after the recession and uh, cutbacks in public spending and i think well you know i i know perfectly well this is going to become a political issue again you know at the moment we're all worried about brexit and immigration and and that sort of thing and at some point people are going to start realizing oh there's actually there's loads of homeless people again and and we're going to take action about it and it's going to be too late and i feel like that's almost there's there's very little you can do about that you know because it is to do with um you know people only have a certain amount of institutional capital uh and and if you know if if it is the same today as it was yesterday and most days are pretty similar to the day before uh you know it, it's it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of institutional capital to stand up and say well let's do let's do something about this now um you, you know in a way you kind of have to wait for it to become more of a problem than you want it to be mm-hmm. and, and okay. unless we could devise some sort of universal metric for how the the level of badness one homeless person causes and keep track of the number of homeless people so if we could if we could put a metric in terms of lost gdp perhaps yeah, and, or utility or, or utility you know, yeah. or whatever some sort of some sort of measure as to how what 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 level you know how bad a homeless person is and uh, we can engineer our policies so that we keep it 
below a certain level. Yeah, I mean that would be. I think that would be a kind of very idealised way of doing things. Yeah, well, that probably ought to be where you know where we have, if you like, a kind of uh, explicit utility function where the government says that we don't. We think homelessness is bad. You know, it's bad for the homeless people. Obviously, it's bad for uh, for other sorts of external reasons. And um, you know, here's how bad we think it is. And when that number might go up or down, but the point is that it may, gives us a rationale for action. Um, uh, I, I mean, you know, you can perhaps hypothesize that that's possible now. I think it is. Technologically, it is possible. It's just so far removed from how politics is done. Um, you know, and that's that's real politics uh, as opposed to institutional politics. That's hard hard to see how we can get there anytime soon. And on that note, unfortunately, we have to wrap up there. I think that also still leaves us with the question, if we trans those questions to another problem, which is, you know, how do we know when Peter's hair has got to a point where it's bad for him and that it's bad for society. Um, and all I know is that... It's that if we'd long past that point. Yeah, exactly. Well, that point has a, gone. Maybe, that well, maybe when it gets so long I can't get in my house so I become yeah. homeless. Maybe that's... The yeah. Thing. Well, yeah. And also, how do you know when it's time to finish a podcast? Thank you very much for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.